0: The Appendix and Podcast Episode 15 Selected Works by H.P. Lovecraft Part 3 Welcome to the Appendix and Podcast a Tome Show Production My name is Jeffrey Wynn This is the show where we read and discuss the authors that influenced Gary Gygax, one of the creators of Dungeons & Dragons. In the 1979 Dungeon Master's Guide, Gygax published a list of his favorite fantasy authors, and this list has come to be known simply as Appendix N. Every month on this show we will read a book and talk about it. We will review the story and talk about how it relates to the game being played at your table. If you would like to be part of the show, you can email the host of The Tome Show, Jeff Greiner, at thetomeshow at gmail Listen to the end of the episode for a list of some upcoming books. Before we get to the program, let us take a moment to mention our sponsor, Noble Knight, online retailer of new and outer print role-playing games, war games, board games, and miniatures. Since 1997, they have helped thousands of gamers from around the world save money and find exactly what they need. You can find them on the web at www.nobleknight.com. My pick for this episode, H.P. Lovecraft's Dunwich: Return to the Forgotten Village for the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game, published by Chaosium. You can find it at Noble Knight for the low, low price of $14. And today, uh, I have with me, uh, returning to the show, Chris Constantine. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. And as ever, my co-host, Jeff Wickstrom. Welcome, Jeff. Ahoy. And today, we are talking about three more short stories by H.P. Lovecraft. Today, we will be talking about Pikmin's Model, The Color Out of Space, and The Dunwich Horror.
1: Yeah, these are some of the big uh, AAA Lovecraft stories. None of the uh, none of the minor ones here.
0: Yeah, we're 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 getting into the into the thick of it, the uh, the uh, development of of the mythos. Um, so let's let's talk really briefly about about Pickman's model. There's there's not really a lot to uh, cover here, and I, I want to save more time for 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 the others. So basically, what we we've got is uh, the protagonist is a guy named named Thurber, I believe. Uh, yeah. And he's, he's talking to one of his, his friends about a, an artist.
1: Elliot, I think he's talking to.
0: He's talking to Elliot, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, about a, 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 an, an artist that uh, both of them know called uh, William Upton Pickman.
1: Richard uh, Pickman.
0: Richard Pickman. Okay. Richard Upton <laughs> Pickman. Thank you, Jeff. So, uh, Pickman is a painter of the macabre. And uh, Lovecraft compares him to a number of of other artists of the time, including, uh, I I point this out, uh, Sidney Syme, who uh, we talked about way, way back in episode two of the Appendix and podcast when we were talking about Lord Dunsany's uh, Book of Wonder. Jeff, you weren't with us at the time, so you you probably wouldn't even uh, remember that that conversation. Sadly, no. But uh, reference... So yes, so, so basically, uh, Pikmin, Pikmin paints uh, these 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 ghouls these, these sort of subhuman creatures that that come up out of the the underground and gnaw on human flesh, and our narrator describes uh, visiting uh, Pikmin. And and going into 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 the basement and and having a personal tour of his studio, whereupon he receives a nasty fright and never wants to go underground again.
2: Indeed, I think it was probably said by the final line in the story. But by God, Elliot, it was a photograph from life.
1: It's not it, really a very subtle story.
2: Definitely not. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, sorry.
0: I think I think we, we can we can basically see like where this is all going from from the start. Um, yeah, basically the 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 big takeaway from story is that uh, Pikmin was not imagining these creatures. These creatures are real, and now you have to be afraid of you know subhumans coming up out of the underground in whatever town you live in and and eating you.
2: Definitely. You can definitely see the transformation. And the use of the art is pretty common standard trope of something you cannot see by any other means but by the imagination. Because it literally has the ability to drive people insane, as shown by the narrator, and how he won't even go down to the subways anymore.
1: Well, I think he had... As the uh, as the story itself points out, he has a rational basis for not wanting to go down into the subways anymore. You know, I, I think that his his whole little his whole description of the events to Elliot is his explanation as to why he is in fact being rational rather than having been driven crazy. I think he makes reference to having been in World War One. I, I think with Elliot and kind of alludes in an offhanded way to PTSD which of course is not something that there was really a a word for at the time but I think it's a concept that soldiers in World War 1 and World War 2 also uh, were forced to become familiar with
0: All right is there is there anything further to say about this this story I mean it's it's a fairly good story but it's it's also a fairly simple one there's there's ghouls living underground they're they're going to get you Watch out.
2: Mostly it's more of an aside than anything else here. Uh, Mostly it was just exploring the stuff that inspired from it, that was built from it. Like, for example, I was able to find an old Dragon magazine where they actually statted out Richard Upton Pickman. And they made him essentially a ninth level fighter with a whole bunch of cool paintings that, because it was first edition, that just basically had simple effects. Like, the lesson basically allowed you to turn into a ghoul if you did not save versus spells. Ghoul feeding was basically a fear spell. Subway accident was a confusion spell, and welcome to Innsmouth was actually a summoning spell of some sort.
1: Well, do we want to take a minute to look at the at the tie between this story and ghouls and Dungeons and Dragons and ghouls as presented in Dungeons and Dragons?
0: Uh, I, I think so. Ghouls traditionally are depicted as subterranean uh, creatures. I think in in some settings there are entire. Uh, underground cities of of ghouls, and they they are known to uh, gnaw on. Uh, they, they they prefer dead human flesh, but but they will they will take uh, the the living when when they they can get it.
1: Well when they're when they're obliged to. Yes. The uh, I mean I think that the Lovecraft's basis for ghouls, uh, like textually, is this story and the Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath, which is kind of a sequel to this story in that it has Pikmin in it uh, living among ghouls. But I think the big difference between ghouls in this story and that story and ghouls in Dungeons & Dragons is that ghouls in Dungeons & Dragons are a kind of undead. They're of a kind with wraiths and skeletons. And the ghouls that we see here are... We're never given, given any reason to think that they aren't terrestrial beings, living beings. Weird and uncanny living beings, but still they need to eat food to live, they sleep. Um, mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, they felt almost Morlock-like if you had any sort of similarities there. They yeah, were under-dwellers, definitely. they ate people, but they were no connotations of whether they were dead or undead. Other than but, the description involving canines. Yeah,
1: but uh, as far as I know, at least, going back to uh, the very earliest days of D&D, ghouls have always been presented as undead um Mm -hmm. i say going back to the earliest days of D. &D, my personal earliest experiences are you know red box dungeons and dragons uh where they were (laughs) right there on the list of uh undead that the cleric could turn Mm -hmm. so that's a difference it is not sure what we can do with that what makes that interesting and maybe we should just move on to uh weird uncanny colors because
0: yeah let's 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 move on
1: maybe we'll have a little more to say about that
0: yeah i think oh, no so problem yeah let's right. do that. so uh the the color out of space and the dunnage horror both both sort of of deal with uh back uh country folks uh, people people living in the hills, uh, out in uh, the, the wilderness west of, of civilized lands, in, in this case, Arkham, uh, Massachusetts. Uh, the, the, the color out of space takes place in, in I, I believe, just an, an unnamed region referred to as uh, the the Blasted Heath. And our narrator is... I, does, does our narrator have a name? I don't remember. Um, he, he's a surveyor, I believe. I had
1: a note about that, but I
0: can't seem to find it now. He, he's a, he's a surveyor and they're, they're, they're basically going to flood the place and build a, build a reservoir. And this, I think, uh, in, in my research, this is... The real
1: world Quabbin Reservoir.
0: Yes, yes. Um... So basically, the, 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 the guy just, just goes out there to look at the place on, on behalf of, you know, the, the local, you know, whatever government uh, agency is uh, doing this. And he, he just talks to one, one farmer just to find out why, why is the place so weird? How come no one, no one lives there? And after he's done talking to this farmer, he basically quits his job and never wants to go back there again because what the farmer told him was that scary.
1: Amy Pierce has a lot of scary things to say,
0: yes, mm-hmm. Amy Amy Pierce. Uh, Jeff, why don't why don't you uh, sort of summarize?
1: So the I think the thing that's kind of interesting about the color out of space is that while most of the stories that Lovecraft was writing at this time were set in what was for him the present day, in the color out of space, he's flashing back. Uh, like 40 years to when Amy, uh, old Amy Pierce, was a young was a much younger man, mm-hmm. and all of the original terrible things that happened on the uh, Gardner farm took place. They, these all happened in 1882, and I think that the reason for that is probably something that we're going to uh, related to something we're going to see in the Dunwich Horror. Uh, which is that in the Dunwich Horror, um, Wilbur Whiteley becomes kind of a minor celebrity. Uh, briefly, he's kind of a flavor of the month. He gets written up in the Boston Globe, among other, among other things. Mm-hmm. And there's no public discussion of what's happening at the Gardner Farm at all. And for that to be the case, I guess Lovecraft felt it needed to take place earlier in history when there was... Was even less uh, technology in terms of communication and transportation than were available in the 1920s I well,
0: I think, I think it, it, it also sells the ju- just the devastation that, that this that this thing has wrought that forty years you know after the uh, visitation of the cholera out of space, no one lives there, and the ground is just you know dried up and and gray right mm hmm it, it, it just it just makes makes the horror like all that all that much more uh, magnified.
2: Well, but, it's not exactly a monster. It's more of a feeling of dread of horror. that's not even color. It's a color that literally is spoken of it does not even exist in our regular scales that can be indescribable. and it seems to be rotting and wilting away at everything around it. And as a result, well, it basically ends up as essentially a tragedy that nobody wants to talk about.
0: Yeah. So the, the the monster in this case is, I, I I guess it's sort of sort of a a o wisp because 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 I mean characters do like encounter like an an actual floating ball of this of this color. It's it's not a it's it's not a disembodied thing, uh. But it it so, so basically there's a meteor that that hits the ground near um this guy's this guy's farm. What's what's the family's name? Gardner. 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 Yes, Nachum Gardner. I say I say Nachum. I don't know. Um, yeah. So basically, there's there's this there's this meteor and, and a whole bunch of scientists come out to look at it. And it's 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 really weird. Like they put it in a, in a in a pail and it burns a hole through the pail. And like the, the next day, like the sample that they they took is is all gone. So they, they they come back to to get more. And the meteor itself is is shrunk in 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 half. Right. And and they're just you know, uh, flabbergasted by this by this weird uh, substance that they've never seen before. Meanwhile, as they're breaking it it open, uh, one of the characters notices. I, I think a, I think a globule of of some color that basically comes out of the meteor and seeps into the ground. Am I am I correct? In my in my yes,
1: yes. Like it gets into the groundwater. Yes, mm-hmm. starts tainting all of the plants in the area. Um, Everything gets all weird and unpleasant. The people who live there slowly go crazy and die
2: exactly, and it even starts adding a luminescence quality to a lot of the things around him, which would probably make it really eerie when it came down to it. Mm-hmm. glowing in the dark exactly,
0: yeah, so like everything starts to turn this this color uh, that the farmer's wife is the first person to go crazy and and they lock the poor woman in an in an attic room, I think mm-hmm. uh, but then since everybody else goes crazy at about the same time, they don't really mind the fact that she's screaming all day long. It, like, it's just, it's just really sad to watch, you know, you, you, you sort of wonder why, why everyone else just, just doesn't, doesn't flee. They just just kind of stay there and, and slowly go crazy while everything around them is, is, is dying. It's, it's just horrible to watch it, watch it happen. And, and, yeah.
1: And the people in question are a small, isolated group. You know, the Gardener family is father, mother, and two sons.
0: Yeah, I believe there's 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 three children, but yeah. Three sons. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, one of them dies. Oh, actually, yep. all three of them die. One of them dies early.
0: Yeah. Yep. And like, I think I think Nakam and and later uh, Amy both both say that uh, you know the 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 thing gets into your mind. Like you want to flee, mm-hmm. but but you 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 just can't. It it draws you back. Um. Yeah. <clears throat> so I think I think the 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 final act of this little tragedy is uh, Amy and, and and a whole bunch of police are are at the house. Um, I, yeah the, the,
1: trying to figure out what's up with all of the crazy and yeah we're basically missing people. yeah
0: basically Gardner has has died and and Amy goes to to, to get the uh, police and they're and they're there to witness. Uh, you know, the, the the color has basically done all that it came here to do, and it it, it basically goes back out into, into space, and it, it sort of hinted that it's, you know, it's it's uh, breeded and multiplied, and in fact left like a, a baby color here here on Earth,
1: here where shortly the area is going to be flooded and converted to a reservoir,
0: right? So making the color drinking is going, water
1: for right. Arkham and a bunch of other towns. Yes. Oh no! Everybody's going to go crazy, just like these people did. It's the Twilight Zone. Do 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 do. The end.
0: Oh, exactly. Yeah, I mean the, the the takeaway here is the world is basically doomed because this. Yeah. I mean this this thing is is going to slowly grow and grow and feed, and
1: and if not the world being doomed, definitely Massachusetts is uh, is doomed.
0: Definitely Massachusetts. Yeah.
1: And, I'm being, and I'm being facetious, but it's a very well-written story in terms of you know this gra- gathering sense of dread. The gameable aspects of it are, I think, a lot more... Um, a lot le- there's a lot less here to play with, since the color is something that nobody is able to do anything with, do anything about, interact with in any way. That doesn't really translate very well into a D&D monster.
0: Well I mean it's oh. it's still it's still a creature, right? I mean
2: it's an entity. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, it's I'm actually looking at the book right now, Call of Cthulhu D twenty, and they basically created it as a outsider with essentially a grapple of some sort, so it's only medium size, but it has some sort of ability drain which is used to simulate the withering effect. Yeah. As well as it has a series of spell like abilities to Modify in cloud memories, detect life, etc., as well yeah. as dominate people around it.
0: And 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 I know one of these things showed up in in uh, Pathfinder in in the Adventure Path, uh, Carrion Crown. I mean, I would I would say that you know having having an an adventure where the the PCs show up and and something's going wrong and. There, there's not something to stab right away. Is 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 a good way to put uh, the PCs off off their guard, right? Because they. <laughs>
1: right yeah there's a there's a downside to that too though because player characters have something that amy Pierce and the others didn't have, which is magic right uh, magic magic missile i don't I assume that if it if, if a thing is completely intangible and your swords and arrows and stuff are going to go straight through it then the the recourse that you're supposed to turn to is spells and of course that means that the characters that don't cast spells get to stand around and watch as the characters that do have spells get to save the day.
0: Well most most D&D monsters like you don't you don't throw monsters at the PCs that the PCs can't deal with. I mean even even stuff like fire elementals and and ghosts you know you can you can hack them to pieces with your with your swords. You know ghosts you need you need magic swords, but you can, well, you, can you can stab a living piece of fire and kill it.
1: That's true, but I guess what I'm getting at is that if a, if, you know, a plus one sword is sufficient to get the, uh, the color numinous gas that's floating there and stab it and do damage to it, then that's really kind of getting away from what, what is horrific about the color out of space, which is that it's, it, it's beyond comprehension. It's not something that can be understood or interacted with or affected.
0: Well that's that's because this is this is horror fiction and D&D is heroic fiction where the, the heroes do stab whatever it is to death and save the day. So if, if you were running a Call of Cthulhu horror scenario, the heroes would would show up, poke around, get frightened and run away. If you were running a Heroic fantasy scenario: the, the you know the PCs show up. They, they, they initially don't know what to do. They they poke around. Maybe some of them suffer you know some mental effects or, or they get poisoned. But eventually they would they would go into the well where this thing lurks and draw it out. And you know maybe one of them would die. But you know the 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 heroes would 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 eventually you know stab it, shoot it. Whatever, and then and then move on to the to the, to the next quest.
1: Yeah, I'm just I'm trying to see see how the color out of space, as presented in this story, could work within the context of of D and D. And what I'm what I'm imagining is that if I was running a running a game with it, I would want I would want it as more a setting element than anything else. Mm-hmm. The player characters have to go into this unholy land where these terrible environmental effects are. Uh, are assaulting them, right. and have made their mark upon the land. And their their goal is not, um, you know, to to kill the color out of space. It's to deal with something more comprehensible and terrestrial, like, like maybe maybe they said, have
0: to like get something that that's that's yeah.
1: There are or... bandits. There are bandits who are using it as a base of operations because normal people are afraid to go there or something like that.
0: Right. Yeah, I I hadn't even even thought of that, but just like as a as a setting, like as a as a background thing. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. And then maybe while they're there, they discover that there's this malign intelligence that is cursing the land, and it's centered on a well, and perhaps there's some kind of clever ritual magic or thing that the player characters can do to, yeah. to lift the curse. But then, then we're looking at it more as, like I said, more as a curse to be lifted than mm-hmm. as a creature to be fought.
0: And then if they, if they can do something about it, then they've got all this land, right?
1: Yeah, and the only problem with it is that it's full of mutants and monsters and ash.
0: Well, what, what sure, but, you know, they're, they're adventurous. They get, they get to spend the rest of their lives clearing that, that stuff out. That
1: ash is good-eaten.
0: Yeah, yes, it is. Chris, do you have anything more to add about the color out of space?
2: Uh, two things. One, I could easily see that being almost a MacGuffin quest, where you basically have to get six different artifacts away to mitigate its effect overall, you know, when it comes down to taking out the color. Because you're right, it makes more sense as a hazard than a monster, ultimately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you really can't fight it. You must basically treat it with, well, science, or in this case, magic. And the second thing was something I have read that was just so interesting, I just wanted to bring it up. Uh, the story itself was written in September of 1927. I was wondering why that thing would have some significance, and one of the things I got from The Color of Butter Space it felt suspiciously like radiation poisoning or something to that effect. So I did a little bit of research, and I came to the conclusion why. I know what Lovecraft was reading at the time. Basically, there was a series of public scrutiny in 1927 involving radium, where there was a clock factory where they were liable for the illnesses they were getting. This was one of the first documented cases of radiation poisoning. And if Lovecraft was reading that, he might have just translated it as cosmic horror ultimately. In order to get stuff over the all. After all, what it was more like a color that you can't actually describe than radiation.
0: Yeah, yeah. It it, it, it does feel like some sort of weird sickness rather rather than a than a than a creature, yeah. Um, I I do wanna wanna correct you. The the, the story was written in March of nineteen twenty seven and was not and, and was published. In September 1927, in Amazing Stories, and while we're while we're on the facts, uh, Pickman's Model was written, uh, listeners, in September 1926 and published October 1927,
1: in Weird Tales. Yeah, now there's a blog called Lovecraftian Science, LovecraftianScience.wordpress.com, mm-hmm. that appears to have uh, looks like several uh, entries. This is just from Google. Several entries discussing the similarities between radiation poisoning and the uh, the effects of the color out of space. So that's definitely a definitely a thing.
0: Yeah. So what what does everyone think the color is? I, I think it's green.
2: Well, yeah, I've sense.
1: imagined a sort of like a, a green, black light, day glow sort of thing, S- uh, Slimer and Ghostbusters.
2: Well, I'd imagine it's almost like... Uh... For a while back, there was that one dress that was being shown all over the place <laughs> that was changing based on whatever perspective you had. Uh-huh. I'd imagine yeah. it would be a lot like that, where the color combinations would change based on whoever perceiving it. That way, it'd be indescribable as per the Lovecraftian tradition.
0: Yeah, he's he, he's not the first person to to introduce the the idea of, of of a color that we can somehow see, but is also, you know, not part of of you know the the uh, Roy G. Biv normal colors that we're, we're used to it, it, it showed up in in Burroughs, on 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 Mars uh, it, it showed up in another in, in a number of, of other science fiction stories I've, I've I've read
1: it's an easy concept to describe it's a little harder to visualize
0: yeah yeah
1: mm-hmm.
0: all right so uh, we've got about half an hour left to talk about the Dunwich Horror. Written. And we
1: kind of we kind of breeze through these first two stories because there's just so much to unpack in the Dunwich Horror. The
0: Dunwich Horror is is an amazing tale, uh, even though it was not published in Amazing Stories. It was published in, in Weird Tales, uh, April 1929. It was written uh, the previous year, 1928. Uh, most people say the Dunwich Horror. I say the Dunwich horror. I don't know if that's correct or not. I just like it better. So I just, I just want to get that out there.
2: Well, ultimately, when you're doing fictional words, uh, don't be too worried about the pronunciation, ultimately. Unless Lovecraft comes up in Praxis, so I don't think anybody's going to complain too hard.
1: Uh, well, there's a Dunwich in England. I don't know if it's pronounced Dunwich or Dunwich.
0: Well, Greenwich is pronounced Greenwich. So I'm, I'm just using that as the basis.
1: I feel like I read a pronunciation guide somewhere that said that Dunwich was pronounced Dunwich, which is why I've been pronouncing it Dunwich. But at this point, I'm just taking this sentence and putting the word Dunwich in it as many times as I Dunwich can.
2: <laughs> I, I
0: understand think, I think Dunwich would be a good place to, to get a sandwich. All right. So, uh, Dunwich is a. Uh, it's basically a backcountry uh, village. It's a couple miles west of Arkham, and, and, and in fact, like we're like Dunwich in this story is just des- described quite thoroughly. Like we're we're told it lies along the the Aylesbury Pike. You know, we're we're introduced to a number of prominent uh, Dunwich families. We know that that there's a general store. Uh, you know, by the end of it, we I think we know a great deal about the. Uh, geography and and this story also has a a very uh, detailed uh, timeline with 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 all sorts of sorts of dates and mm-hmm. in 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 the source book H P Lovecraft's Dunwich for the Call of Cthulhu role game you can you can find an, an basically an, an excellent breakdown of 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 the timeline and and all the characters of the story in the the appendices so I I recommend Uh, checking that out if you're running any any game set in Dunwich or inspired by this story alright so Chris why don't you just sort of summarize what's going on here in the Dunwich horror
2: well for lack of a better term there's this creepy family that's located in Dunwich that is gives birth to a son who is a gigantic man after creating some questionable rituals. He is well-favored within town and so forth, but he ultimately ends up grabbing information and going to key libraries for some nefarious reason, which we know not what. And people keep disappearing within the family where there's no evidence, ultimately, Mm -hmm. which, of course, adds to the creep factor. Like his mother responds and basically tries to stop it, but she immediately almost disappears in the early part of the story.
0: Right. Well, I think, then, I, I, I think, right. I think the, the I, I think the, the, the mother's in on it. Like she's not trying to stop it. She's, I mean, the, 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 the entire family wizard, wizard Watley, his daughter, uh, Lavinia, La they, they know exactly, uh, where their child has come from and, and they are, and, and they are proud yeah, his, I think of it, of his uh, parentage. Yes, Jeff.
1: I think that Lavinia kind of loses enthusiasm for the whole project after old wizard Waitley dies. She starts talking to um, her friend whose name I don't remember off the top of my head about how she's she's scared of her son. And she has good reasons to be scared of her mm-hmm. son, which, of course, she can't tell her friend about because her friend is unlike her is not a Cthulhu cultist. Right. Um,
0: I think I think basically what would happen is is Wilbur just got tired of 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 his mom decided that he didn't need her to do what he wanted to do, and just you know did, just didn't want to include her in 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 his plans. I don't I don't think like she got scared and and tried to stop it. I think just think he decided I'm I'm gonna. She I'm was gonna, no longer necessary. She was no longer mm-hmm. necessary, right? Yeah. So And okay. her
1: her death sequence is actually one of my favorite things. Um, about at least that part of the Dunwich Horror. Yeah, because it comes on the heels of Wizard Whateley's death. Right. And Wizard Whateley, he's this old guy. He's uh, crazy and self-educated and yada yada yada. He's called Wizard Whateley, so you know he's he's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when he's dying, his house is just surrounded by whipperwills and birds, and they're screeching and they're making all of these noises.
0: Which was apparently a, a local superstition in in that part of Massachusetts that, that yeah. Lovecraft researched.
1: That Whippoorwills would uh, would carry your carry your soul yeah, off. When he, you died. He,
0: interestingly he he uses the word uh, psychopomp, which yeah. uh, n- uh, now is a is, is an actual monster in in uh, Pathfinder. They're they're the servants of the god of death. But uh, continue, Jeff.
1: Well, a, a psychopomp is an entity that takes your soul to the land of the dead. Right. Um. But, uh, and he's, Wilbur is saying, uh, as Wizard Whateley is dying, that if the Whippoorwills get Wizard Whateley's soul, they're going to, you know, sing and carry on and have a big old bird party. And if they don't, then they'll get all quiet. And then Wizard Whateley dies and the birds immediately get all quiet. Right. Which is a... You know, a, an eerie bit of uh, coincidence, if nothing else. Yeah,
0: it seems like he's he's a powerful wizard, and and he was able to get his soul to the afterlife
1: without the with the whippoorwills, yeah. Right. And then the uh, the only direct evidence, and it's not well, there's not even direct evidence. The only evidence that we have for Lavenia being dead as opposed to having just run off is that the people in Dunwich hear. Uh, right before she disappears, there's one night when the people in Dunwich hear just this, these, uh, the birds making a big racket and carrying on in the vicinity of the Whiteley Farm.
0: Right. And, like, I want to I wanna point out that, that, that I think that Lovecraft makes it very clear to anyone who's even remotely paying attention and is a fan of this sort of fiction what exactly is going on. I mean like the, the the entire story is is a is a giant wink mm-hmm. from Lovecraft to 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 the audience. He doesn't come right out out and say it, but you well, except, you the except reader except when
1: he does. Yeah. when he does. Except
0: yeah. when, 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 when he does. When he does. He, like he he's basically saying, "Hey, hey you reading this story, you like you like, you know, horror fiction, you know what's up? You're cool. You you and I we know exactly what's going on. It's it's these poor fools who have who have no idea. And so what's what's actually go- going on is that uh, L- Lavinia gives birth to two children, uh, fathered by this otherworldly entity Yog Sothoth, uh, who is who is uh, both the key and the gate and many many other other things, um, and the. One of the sons, Wilbur looks kind of human, and the other one, which I don't think gets a name ever uh doesn't look human at all
1: It's just the horror yeah
0: it's it's the horror right that's that's the dunnage horror and so uh Wilbur is able to masquerade as human for I think about about fifteen years, and he grows like remarkably fast, like he looks like a teenager when he's when he's four. And by the time he's 15, he's eight feet
1: tall. He starts walking when he's only a couple months old. He's talking before he's a year old. Um, and that's when the newspapers take an interest and they come out and take a bunch of pictures of the Whateley farm and interview Wizard Whateley and Lavinia Whateley and Wilbur Whateley, which I, have, I I would have loved to have read some of that, that write-up in the Boston Globe Sunday Supplement. Um, about the Whiteley Farm and the uh, remarkable prodigy child.
0: Well, you're, you're a writer. Maybe you should write it. There, there you go.
1: Oh, sure, surely somebody else wrote something like that. August Derleth or Lynn Carter or Robert Price or somebody has already done that. Then I can just do the, the fun part, which is reading it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Quite quite possibly. So, yeah, so, so basically uh, they, they keep the, 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 the other child... First, like in in the barn, and then they then they they basically uh, take all the floors and walls out of out of their their house, except except for the first floor, and, and like and like keep him in the upper f- floors of their of their house because he's just that huge. Mm-hmm.
1: And then uh, when Lavinia dies, Wilbur uh, gets rid of the partition between the first floor and the cavernous space that used to be the second and third floors, so that the house is just a big shell that and, the yeah. horror can occupy.
0: Right. And so, uh, basically, Wilbur's plan is he needs a page from the Necronomicon because his 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 father, the wizard, has this you know arcane library, and he's got an, an an English copy of the Necronomicon, but it's it's missing a a key page, and he he basically wants you know him 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 and, and his brother need to contact their father, uh, Yog Sothoth, so that so that they can get home basically to wherever Yogg-Sothoth is, is from, and, the, and they also want to let uh, the outsiders in so that they can take over Earth, destroy Earth, cleanse Earth, whatever, whatever horrible thing it is that they're going to do.
1: Yeah, what, what I understand the ritual on Sentinel Hill to, to be supposed to accomplish is it will allow the Dunwich Horror to become even larger and more dangerous and it will give Wilbur control over the Dunwich Horror, and it will also like spawn a bunch of additional horrors who will overrun the Earth and sterilize it. Uh,
0: hmm. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure that Wilbur wants to control his brother. I mean, the the. I'm the looking at. Uh, I'm like thinking a...
1: of. I'm thinking of um, Wizard Whateley's last words to Wilbur mm-hmm. uh, when with. Waitley lies dying which let me right. see if I can call that up
0: okay uh, more space Willie more space soon you grows and that grows faster it'll be ready to serve you soon boy open up the gates to yog Satoth with the long chat that you'll find on page 751 of the complete edition <laughs> and then put a match to a match to the prison fire from Earth can't burn it no how
1: Feed it regular, Willie, and mind the quantity, but don't let it grow too fast for the place. For if it busts quarters or gets out afore ye opens to yogs us it's all over and no use. Only them from beyond can make it multiply and work. Only them, the old ones, as wants to come back.
0: So there, this, we're. we're so I guess we're, it's, it's the question is what's okay. meant
1: exactly by serve uh, serve ye soon, and by make it multiply and work. But regardless, I think it's it's safe to say that whatever those mean, it doesn't mean anything good for humanity. I
0: was I was actually focusing on a passage from uh, Wilbur's diary, which which they find later, where he Wilbur's basically talking about, about the the upstairs learning you know, learning uh, faster than than he. And like I I got from Wilbur's diary that he viewed his his brother as a person. You know, like like a person, like with with an identity, not not just a, just a creature, because like he had this you know otherworldly understanding of of you know what a person is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, wizard wizard's words make it sound more like the horror is just sort of this this creature and and a means to 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 an end.
1: Well, of course, wizard and Wilbur may well have had very different understandings of what the horror was, since. Mm-hmm. The wizard was ultimately a human being, and Wilbur was a terrible abomination. Right.
0: Okay. So, Wilbur goes searching for the, the, the missing page of the Necronomicon, and this, this leads us to the hero of the tale, uh, Dr. Armitage.
1: One of three player characters who appear in the Dunwich Horror.
0: Yes. Yeah.
2: Like, this is where it feels more than any other time in Lovecraft's writing, that a game's starting.
1: Yeah, this is – the Dunwich Horror, this is the thing that I find really compelling about the Dunwich Horror and particularly with regards to the the Appendix N podcast and talking about these stories in relation to gaming. The Dunwich Horror, more than I think anything else in Lovecraft, really uh, kind of tells the story of like a Call of Cthulhu game. Yeah. right? You have these three academics who get wind of a terrible thing happening. They go and check it out and they deal with it.
0: Yeah. So Dr. Dr. Henry Armitage, AM, Miskatonic PhD, Princeton, Lit D, Johns Hopkins, whatever, whatever that means. Uh he he's basically gone gone on to be uh the the chief protagonist in in most Lovecraftian gaming things that that I have seen. He he frequently shows up in Call of Cthulhu scenarios as either a a quest giver Or just like as a as a background reference, you know, Doctor Armitage was was here. Doctor Armitage signed this book. You know, he's he's Love Lovecraft's uh, good guy as as far as uh, game makers are concerned. Um, and so Wilbur goes to him to uh, basically borrow the Necronomicon, which they just happen to be keeping in. Uh, in, in the library...
1: Yeah, well, there's like four or five copies of the Necronomicon known, and two of them are in Massachusetts, one of them at the Widener Library in Harvard, and one of them at um, Miskatonic.
0: So I, I, I want to ask, like, what, what does this say about the world? Because this, this library, a college library, has a, has a black magic book... In its collection, in in the restricted section, like as as if they recognize that it's it's dangerous.
1: Well, it's barely restricted. I mean, Wilbur Whateley comes in, says he wants to look at it. Henry Armitage looks at him, recognizes him as some kind of half-human goat monster, and says, "Yeah, sure, just you know, copy out the stuff that you need." And it's only after uh, Wilbur says that I you know he can't get all the information that he needs from Sitting and reading it here in uh, here in the Miskatonic University Library, he needs to take it back with him to Dunwich. Mm-hmm. That Armitage is like, no, you know what? It, no more, no more Necronomicon for you.
0: But I, I, I like, I, I also noticed, like, as I was reading this story for the second time, that no, nobody who has direct dealings with the horror at, at any point ever questions what's going on as as anything other than there's a monster out there like like no, nobody says it's it's the weather it must have been my my imagination everybody from the the village people to dr armitage recognizes that you know this is a monster from beyond you know the 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 newspaper columnists make you know, kind of make make, make fun of, of these of these backcountry people, but they're not really important to the to the story. Every, everybody else, almost immediately, is is like, yeah, this is a monster. We have to use magic to stop it. Magic's real. Monsters are real.
1: Uh, Dunwich is interesting as a setting because the people in it respond in such a, bl- a blase way to the Whiteleys. I think it's easy to forget that the Dunwich Horror starts with this incredible description of. You know, if you're going from this part of Massachusetts to this other part of Massachusetts, you take a series of wrong turns, you're going to pass this and this on the road and these terrible things. And you're going to come to this decrepit, uh, collapsed village of ruined, inbred hillbillies who are going to stare uh, intently at you from the ruins of their uh, deconsecrated church. And then you're going to just keep running and eventually get back to civilization, and then afterwards, maybe you'll figure out that where you where you were was Dunwich, and then we spend the whole rest of the Dunwich horror from the perspective of looking at the the Whateley family, who, by Dunwich standards, are weird and insular and degenerate. Mm-hmm. So you forget that all of the people who were looking at them and making that judgment are themselves, you know, crazy backwoods hillbilly types.
0: Yeah, it's like it's, it's a really weird story with like, yeah, yeah, there, there's there's just so much to get 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 into. Um, but yeah, I mean, the 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 place is is hinted as like just just being really old like like the like the hills are are too round there are these there's these strange like stonehenge style you know monoliths on the hills that are supposed to be older than than the than the indians like it's it's just really great and we we also get like like another really good description of the 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 old ones here from uh Wilbur's Wilbur's diary. I don't know if, if we have time to to go into it here, but like it's it's the part where he actually starts talking about Yog-Sothoth being the key and and the gate and you know the the, the creatures from, from 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 beyond there's there's just so much language here that that is eminently quotable.
1: Yeah, I think I I mean this story more than anything else I think is is the basis for Call of Cthulhu the role-playing game. There's just so much to it.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to read a little bit here. The, the the Old Ones were, the Old Ones are, and the Old Ones shall be. Not in the spaces we know, but between them. They walk serene and primal, undimensioned and to us unseen. Yog sothoth knows the gate. Yog sothoth is the gate. Yog sothoth is the key and the guardian of the gate. I mean, come on.
2: Yep. In fact, you'd almost argue this is the inspiration for stuff as late as Ghostbusters, you know, no, the that, of the guard, Gatekeeper. Yeah, I mean, we were, we
0: were definitely, talking about... I think that the Ghostbusters
1: yeah. connection is very real.
0: We were talking about how, how the Call of Cthulhu, you know, seems like it, it inspired Ghostbusters this. I mean, the, the, the end of the story is three scientists, you know, face a world-ending horror...
1: Yeah, the only thing that's missing is that they don't have proton packs.
0: Right, exactly. Indeed. But they, one one of the guys does have a chemical sprayer mm-hmm. that that makes the horror visible.
1: Yeah, and then the description of the horror for something that is, oh, it's a very, uh, it, it definitely conjures up a specific image. Unlike a lot of, you know, badly written Lovecraft pastiches that keep talking about how indescribable things are. The... There's a pretty clear description of what the horror actually looks like for that brief period where they can see it. And the answer is it looks like a big like gibbering mother.
0: I mean we 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 also get a a horrific description of what what Wilbur looks like, you know, with without his his clothes on.
1: Oh yeah, that's like the um, the dramatic twist in the in the book, at this point, uh, Wilbur has been set up as the main antagonist. You know, the evil wizard who is trying to bring darkness into the world. And after Armitage sends him away without the Necronomicon, he tries to break into the university library. Guard dog gets him, rips him to shreds.
2: Boom! No more Wilbur Waitley.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's he, he's this eight foot tall monster, and he's killed by a by a guard dog. Right.
2: Yeah. But yeah. again, it was channeled out consistently throughout the stories that dogs were essentially the mortal enemies of Lovecraftian horrors. Dogs would bark whenever any of the Watleys went presence. Mm-hmm. In fact, they would disappear under mysterious circumstances. It was almost like it's being prophetic to ultimately his ultimate fate.
1: Yeah, in his uh, diary he talks about shooting dogs and it's a recurring thing that dogs are um, guardians of all that is good and true what with dogs uh, killing Migo in The Whisperer in Darkness. And I'm sure dogs get mentioned other places. But um, the fact that Armitage, Rice, and Morgan come out to Dunwich, they're investigating the horror, they go and they um, deal with the horror by using magic that Armitage knows is uh, such a... It's A, such a gaming thing, and B, it seems so different from... How every other Lovecraft story goes, indeed. Right. This is is, is stands in stark opposition to Call of Cthulhu, to um, the well, Whisper in Darkness, and, to and, and even
0: the story that that, that Smith did did before this one. The, yeah. the the color out of space. That yeah, one ends exactly. With it's, it's,
1: that yeah, that one ends with the color being ineffable, can't understand it, can't do anything about it, just get to watch as it does its damage and then flies away. And here, Armitage knows the right spell to get rid of the horror. Um,
2: More importantly, he didn't, unlike in, in almost any other story, he didn't technically go insane in the process. Yeah. He did his homework, he got scared out of, out of his wits, but he sealed up his envelopes, the diary that he was basically cribbing off of as well, and told nobody else was going to read the darn thing, but ultimately he ended up as a hero in spite of everything. Yeah, and he,
1: he understands everything that's going on, you know He recognizes Wilbur Whateley as a horrible monster pretty much straight away, um, although that's not enough to make him kick him out of the library initially. It's not until he starts talking about taking the book that, uh, that he kicks him out of the library, which again raises the question of what kind of world is this where you know degenerate half-man goat monsters can just walk the streets. Mm-hmm. But who can say? Who can say?
0: Okay, well we've got we've got about three minutes left. Chris, do you want to say any final words about the Dunehar?
2: Actually, I got quite a few things I could say. Uh, For starters, I did a little bit of back research here on the stones of the various areas, and it looks like there were some stones of questionable content in that area. Hmm. In fact, one of them ultimately became the name of a gaming company—the idea of (laughs) Avalon Hill. And there's also the ideas of Mystery Hill, and as well as America's Stonehenge. You know, mostly I found tourist traps nowadays, and there's the questionable archaeological context, but it was around during that period, and it's really interesting seeing some of these pictures and designs. I think I could throw a few links at you, if you'd like, in order to see what some of these places did look like in the real world.
0: Uh, Why don't you, you you can send those to me, and we will put those in the show notes, because we are running out of time. Uh, Chris Constantine, you are working on a role-playing game called Dark Revelations. You want to take a minute to tell people about it?
2: Why, certainly. Uh, Dark Revelations, the role-playing game, is a... Basically, it's a hodgepodge apocalypse that takes North America and the D20 system and makes a diverse world filled with magical rates, modern technology, and bizarre cultures. In fact, I've been recently playing around with a new concept on the blog, which is drevrpg.blogspot.ca, where I've been experimenting with uh, concepts of taking unusual objects and trying to give them a magical quality. Like, the last one I did was Carhenge which is huh. taking a really bizarre site done by an artist, where yeah. I redid uh, Stonehenge with cars in Nebraska. Uh,
0: and that sounds almost it, like uh, like a Gamma World thing.
2: Exactly. Like It's kind of fun because I've actually been playing around a lot with that. Before then, I actually found the world's largest Easter egg done by Metal. It was basically takes place in Vigerville, Alberta, mm-hmm. and then try to give it a bit more gameable context. So I've been having fun with that.
0: Interesting. So everyone check out uh, Chris's blog. And, Jeff, you write stuff. Tell us about that.
2: Uh, Sure. Jeffwick.com,
1: it's kind of on hiatus at the moment. I wrote some stuff, but I do want to take this time and talk just a minute more about the Dunwich Horror and say that the real takeaway, if I'm going to apply this to gaming, is that there's nothing halfway about the Dunwich Horror. There's no ironic distance. There's no... um, there's nothing half-hearted about it. When Lovecraft decides that uh, Dunwich is a horrible place, he spends you know hundreds of words talking about how bad it is, underlining it. It's not just slightly bad. It is uh, full of crazy people. It's full of degenerates. Uh, anybody who can get any education leaves it and never comes back, uh, and then... All, you go through Dunwich, and that's where the Whiteleys are, and the Whiteleys are so bad that everybody else in Dunwich uh, will have nothing to do with them. It's, uh, it's very intense. It's very sincere. It's very focused, and that's something that I find really admirable. Uh, oh, also, the Dunwich horror is naturally invisible, which makes it a real bugger to fight. Uh, we should see more of that in monsters in D&D. Oh, d
2: and Oh, one last thing I actually found that was kind of interesting here. Uh, Uh, The Watleys actually don't just present themselves in Call of Cthulhu, but they're also a major prominent family in Deadlands, where they actually take place primarily in Gamora, California. Now we're we're getting
0: into into other role-playing games. But definitely Lovecraft's writing has had an an influence on uh, authors uh, game makers, like all, all sorts of people who, who work in, in fiction. Unfortunately, we, we, we are, are out of time, you guys. It's been a wonderful discussion. You guys have, have had uh, great uh, comments, and I look forward to doing this again with more Lovecraftian tales in the future. Listeners, if you would like to be on the Appendix End podcast to voice an opinion about something we've read or something we've said, if you have any questions or comments for me, you can contact me through the Tome Show at thetomeshow at gmail.com. Visit our webpage to leave a comment or shop at our Amazon store at thetomeshow.com. You can follow along with the Tome Show by reading what we're reading. And if you'd like to be a guest on an upcoming show, just let us know. No expertise is required. Later this month, we will, we will be reviewing three more tales of Conan the Barbarian by Robert E. Howard. The Scarlet Citadel, The Tower of the Elephant, and Black Colossus. Later still, we will be reviewing the novel Creep, Shadow Creep by Abraham Merritt. Finally, in June, we will return to the weird fiction of H.P. Lovecraft, talking about the dream quest of Unknown Kadath. These are all available in the public domain, so find them, read them, and join us for our discussions. This has been a Tome Show production of Appendix N, Episode 15, Selected Stories by H.P. Lovecraft, Part 3. Thanks for listening.